Broadcasting live to the world now. It's Sheila Zielinski. Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end-time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Thursday, October 29th, 2015 edition Thank you all for tuning in from across the globe. I broadcast Monday to Friday. That's weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and on Saturday nights, 11 p.m. Eastern Time on Worldwide Christian Radio and WINB. And there is a call-in number for that show, and that call-in number is there at WeekendVigilante.com on the Radio Archives tab at the top menu. So do tune in. For that Saturday night show as well. I recently had a green gospel giveaway. That's right. I selected five names yesterday. I drew five names out of a box. So at the end of the program today, I will be telling you the five winners of a copy. And that's a signed copy of my book, Green Gospel. And I will be getting those out Monday. So I'll let you know at the end of the program today who won those books. And I'll be having another draw coming up in a few weeks. So if you want to get your name in various draws and different contests I have, make sure you go to my website today and like me on Facebook, Twitter, and you can be part of the various giveaways and contests that I have. Well, I'm going to jump right into the show today. My guest today is one of my favorites. It is Pastor Mike Hoggard from Bethel Church with a show I'm entitling Halloween Unmasked. And our show topic today could not be more seasonally appropriate as we approach the week of the Mother of All Harvest Festivals, Samhain, a.k.a. All Hallows' Eve, Halloween. There's a litany of traditions that occur during this next week, of course, with the culmination on Halloween night, the night of the Wiccans, Satanists, Druids, Pagans in this New Age occult mishmash. All of the West really has some type of interaction, whether it's Christmas, Easter, Halloween. We've all been a part of one holiday or another, and I think it's just so ingrained in us. But anyway, Mike is going to weigh in on these eight occultic holidays. I'm really glad, Mike, that you're on tonight to talk about these pagan holidays. Welcome to the program. It's good to be back with you again, Sheila. And, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at a verse um, from the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6. It's it's one that we know so well as Christians, or we should know well as Christians. In Ephesians 6, Paul is telling us to, he's telling us to stand. He put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he says, you know, that you may be able to to stand in the evil day. And I believe, and I know you believe, that we are on a very rapid approach to what is going to be a a very, very evil, dark 
day. Yeah. If you if you study uh, just the phrase "the day of the Lord" in the scriptures, you'll find out that the day of the Lord uh, starts out with clouds and gloominess and and all of these things that seem to be the themes for Halloween and the occult and everything else. But the the day of the Lord at its beginning is not going to be good for people who don't know the Lord. And we are heading toward that evil day. And the Bible, God is using the scriptures to try to teach us, to try to educate us about what's coming on that evil day. And he mentions that we are wrestling, not against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against principalities, against powers, against, this would fit here, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And one of the things that I uh, have been doing probably for the last, I'm going to say, 18 years of being in a sort of prophetic-type ministry is I see patterns in the Bible. I see God using numbers, and I stayed away from that for a long time because I thought it was occult numerology. And here's what I found. God uses numbers like the number seven, seven days in a week, the Sabbath day, the number 10, 10 commandments. That's the number for dominion. The number four is the number for the gospel. There's, you have the four gospels, in the, but it's also a number for the spiritual realm. And so if you look at the opposite of every one of those numbers that God uses, you'll see how the devil uses those same numbers and those same patterns. You were talking about the, um, the eight for lack of a better word, unsacred or unholy holidays that are practiced amongst those who are Wiccans, those who refer to themselves as warlocks or witches, those who refer to themselves as pagans, um, or those who simply are Satan worshipers. They belong to a a body of believers in Lucifer, in Satan. Anton LaVey started that back in 1969 with the uh, First Church of Satan in San Francisco, but they also regard these numbers and they hold them in high esteem. And so one of the things that um, I think is helpful for those who study the Bible and are at least somewhat curious about what is going on around them um, is to study in the scriptures the the patterns that God lays out. And here's why I'm saying this. In Ephesians chapter 6, 12, he mentions four things, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. If you take that idea and go to, let's say, Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a, has a dream and he can't remember it. And so here's what's interesting. I like this. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from his dream, he can't remember it. He goes to the book of Daniel, mentions four people, goes to his astrologers, to his uh, magicians, to his sorcerers, and to his Chaldeans. Four groups there. On the other side, you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You have four good and four bad. And so there is, there is a, a good gospel that saves mankind, and that is the power of God. There is also a false gospel, which is precisely what witchcraft is. And so he goes to those, and he can't, they can't tell him what the dream is, and so he's going to have them all killed. Daniel gets with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those four, and they pray unto the Lord, and God gives Daniel the revelation of what the dream was and then what the interpretation is. And then, lo and behold, we have uh, four kingdoms. 
We have the head of gold, which Daniel said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold. You are a king of kings. Then the silver, which is the the chest area. Then we have the legs and the thighs of brass. Then at the bottom, we have part iron and part clay. That is the fourth kingdom. And if you if you put the two ideas together, that we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, and you match that up with that fourth kingdom, then I think you get a good idea of what that fourth kingdom really is. It's not a kingdom of flesh and blood, I don't think. I don't think it's a kingdom of of man or based upon man. It is a it is a kingdom of spirits. It is an evil nation that God mentioned in Deuteronomy 28. He talks about him in Joel chapters 1 and 2. Um, it's in different other places. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 5, we have this, this very evil, demonic um, army coming out of the bottomless pit. But the idea that this number 4 holds special significance, and let me explain how. In witchcraft or paganism or in Wicca or in Satan worship, um, they have four very special high days. The first one is the spring equinox, and I could go into a little bit about what that represents, the summer solstice, the fall equinox, and then, of course, the winter solstice. So you have four special days that Wiccans, pagans, and sorcerers and all of that other crowd they hold in high regard. They will meet in places. They will go to Stonehenge in England at summer solstice. They will go into uh, the groves. And I just got done doing a, a series of Watchmen broadcasts on what exactly the groves were. King Ahab had 400, there's that number, 400 prophets of the groves. And I think those prophets of the groves were like the forerunners of the, um, of the Druid priests that were in ancient England. But on those four high holy days, the pagans, the Wiccans, the occultists, they gather together on those days, and they do what God told them not to do. They're going to these places, and they're observing times, and they're worshiping the sun, or they're worshiping the stars, or the moon. They're worshiping a, with Wiccans, they worship a horned god called Cernunos, and they are worshiping a female deity. You have those four high days in the occult, and then they have four more that are what they call cross-quarter days. That is, we have, um, we have Imbolc, which is February the 2nd, which is the 33rd day of the year. It's a very interesting day. A lot of things have happened on February the 2nd. It's Groundhog Day, and the whole idea of a Groundhog Day basically comes from this ancient pagan tradition that there is a God that is asleep and he's buried underground somewhere and he needs an awakening and so he will come out of his pit or whatever and have this awakening and they, you know, they gather at Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania every year and this groundhog supposedly sees his shadow. So that's in bulk. And then you have uh, May Day and uh, May Day is sort of sandwiched between uh, the the uh, spring equinox and the summer solstice. And then between the summer solstice and the uh, fall equinox, we have another one. I can't remember what the name of that is. But then between the 
fall equinox and the winter solstice, you have a, a high day, a cross-quarter day, referred to as Samhain. It took me years to be able to pronounce that right because it's spelled Samhain. And I thought, well, who is Samhain? I don't know who that is. Well, they pronounce it Samhain for some reason. But you have traditions all over the world that go along with this particular day. The Catholic Church calls it All Hallows' Eve because they have, on November 1st, they have what's called All Hallows' Day or All Saints' Day. And all of the saints that may have been left out of having their particular day throughout the year, they all throw them into one big pile. And if you're a Catholic, then you pray to one of these gods slash saints on November 1st, and you honor these all of these saints. The day before that, then, is the eve of All Saints Day. Halloween is where we get the name from. In the, um, in the Spanish tradition, in Mexico and Latin American places like that, it's, uh, I'm going to butcher this Spanish pronunciation, Dia de la Muerte, or something like that. Day of the Dead is what it is. And there's this concept that there is a partition, a like a veil between our world and the spirit world. And on October 31st, that veil is very, very thin, and it actually allows, this is their thought, it actually allows those who are on the dead side to come a little bit into our world, and it allows those who are in our world to venture into the realm of the afterlife or the realm of the dead and so on. And the bottom line is there is really nothing not pagan about October 31st. There's nothing Christian about it. There's nothing holy about it. Um, I believe that all the days were made by the Lord and they all have special significance. I, I even believe in that, and I've taught this, Psalm 19 talks about day unto day utter a speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And I think there's a wonderful message in how God created this universe but then the devil takes that and he corrupts it and he makes it about him. It is about the Antichrist. It is about getting in contact with the dead. It's about that day of the Lord that's a day of gloominess. And I, I mean, I've admitted this before, Sheila. I am, I have been in the past um, crazy about Halloween. I used to trick or treat when I was a kid, when I got to be a teenager. I used to hand out the candy. I, I, had a guy make a coffin for me one time. I was handing candy out of this coffin. I've, and I've been in church all my life. We used to have Halloween parties here at the church. And one year we had a like a scare house in the Sunday school rooms of our church when I was a teenager here. But then you grow up and you start learning about these practices and what these days represent and how we got it and so on. And yeah, there may have been an innocent innocence back then, but when you learn about this and you understand what this is all about, it kind of makes a, a Christian now, someone who really wants to serve the Lord and please the Lord, back up and say, you know what? I'm not so sure that I'm going to dress up like a witch this year. Amen? Amen. Well, and really, Mike, you mentioned something really important, and that is when you look at God creating numbers and, of course, these satanic numerologists, they 
hijack that. I mean, we see a book called Numbers. Every system that God makes, Satan hijacks. It's star cycles, sun cycles, moon cycles. Ironically, they're made by God, but then these pagans twist it. So Illuminists observe really eight major nights. So all these festivals, they have something in common, different names, different faces. But I mean, it's all the same real God they're worshiping, the horned God, the half man, half goat, Baphomet, the stag god. Some call it Nimrod. Nimrod was kind of the poster boy for all these Masonic and esoteric occultists, the horn god. Some say Ishtar, Isis, you said Cernunos. In Greek religion and mythology, Pan is a goat satyr. He's a god of the wild, and he's connected to fertility, the season of spring. The ancient Greeks considered Pan to be the god of theatrical criticism, but when you look at him being a very significant figure in the Rome 20th century neo-pagan movement, I mean, it's all the beast. We're all really talking about, Mike, worshipping the beast, whether it's these Hollywood, well, as I call them, helly weird minions, these actors and musicians, they flash the horn god sign with the thumb, the pointer finger, and the baby finger. It still represents the beast, the dragon, doesn't it? That's what we're talking about. Well, sure it does. And you mentioned um, about how God made these days and the sun and the moon and the stars. They all belong to him. And it's really interesting because every eight years, the planet Venus, this is called the Venus transit. And astronomers, people who watch the skies for thousands of years, notice that in an eight-year span, uh, eight in the Bible is the number for new life and new beginnings. Isaac was, was circumcised on the eighth day. Um, the eighth day is also the first day of the week. So it, you know, it shows that it starts all over again. The eighth day is when the new heaven and the new earth starts. And there was eight people who came off the ark in Genesis chapter eight onto a new world. I mean, it's just beautiful the way God does this, but they notice that the planet Venus will draw a star every eight years. This is called the Venus transit. If you were to trace the, the motions of the planet Venus in the sky, that it will draw the figure of a star up in the sky, and it'll do this every eight years. Satan didn't do that. Satan did not put planet Venus there and make it move the way it did. God did. And the heavens tell the glory of God. On day four, since we were talking about this number, day four of creation, um, God made the sun, moon, and the stars. And he specifically said, let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. Four things there. And so you think about Christ. Christ is referred to as the Son of Righteousness, capital S-U-N. His, his rising is in the east like the sun. Um, David said in Psalm 19 that the, uh, the heavens above us are a tabernacle, that the sun rises and sets in, and the sun comes out of his chamber like a bridegroom. And I'm going, I know who that is. That's Jesus. And so all of these wonderful, amazing things up in the sky— that God created for wisdom, for our blessing, to give us light and so on, representing Christ and the angels and the church. We shine as lights in a dark world, Paul said. Then the devil takes these things because that's what he does. He corrupts everything that God does. And so he has his version of it. Um, The sun is now Baal. It is Nimrod, as you said, Osiris. It is Apollo. It is all of these pagan mythological gods, every civilization in the world worshipped a sun god of some kind. They also worshipped a fertility goddess of some kind. 
whether it's Ashtaroth or Isis or Ishtar or Diana or Xingmu in China or wherever, wherever it was, they all worshipped this female fertility goddess. And the concept was, and this is where we get into these days in paganism and Wicca, the concept was, was that at certain times of the year, the god who had all these horns coming out of his head, uh, like Pan, uh, you mentioned Pan a while ago, the word panic and the word pandemonium come from Pan because Pan was wild. He was animal-like. And that's what happens when you have pandemonium or when someone goes into a panic, they're not thinking like a rational human being is. They're thinking like a beast, an animal. But anyway, you, you have these days where this horned god, this this beast, half-human, half-beast god, and this fertility goddess are going to come together and they're going to mate. If you think about the opposite, here we have Christ, who is the bridegroom. We have the church, who is the bride. One of these days, God is going to call us up to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be literally his body. We will be with him forever and ever and ever. And that is the, the wonderful story, the mystery that Paul talked about in Ephesians 5, um, but it, you know, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother shall cleave to his wife. And he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. So even, even in the institution of marriage, it represents Christ and us as believers joined together with Christ. There is always going to be a perversion of that, whether it's in the form of satanic holidays where literally a high priest and a high priestess will perform a perverted act on this, what they call a sacred day, or the corruption of marriage, which what we're dealing with now in our country, the idea of a man and a man and a woman and a woman joined together to be married. Everything that God calls holy, the devil takes these things and he corrupts them. And so I think that in the times that we live in right now, um, number one, when we read about the Bereans in the book of Acts, when they heard the apostles teach the gospel, they, they were more noble than anyone else. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to search the scriptures to see whether these things are true or not. They heard the apostles, they heard what they taught, but they said, we're going we're gonna to find this in the scripture. And if we find it in the scripture, we know you're telling the truth. But if we don't, we know you're lying. And yet, you, you know, think about it. Back then, they were reading off of these scrolls. They were very rare. Not too many people had them. Not too many people had the ability to read and write. And so for the Bereans to search the scriptures, which probably most of what they had was the Old Testament, that would have taken months, if not years. We now have the ability, Sheila. We're talking on the Internet. We're using computers. We have, we have Bible software. We have these iPhones and Android phones. We have these little pocket computers that we can carry a Bible in everywhere we go. We have the ability to do in minutes what it took the Bereans months to do. And one of the things that really bothers me about 21st century Christianity is that the people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Yes. When, when really they, they can have access to a Bible 24 hours a day, be able to search using these search programs to search the scriptures in a fraction of a second and find out just about any answer to any life question in the world, and they don't do it. 
And so they deliberately allow themselves to be deceived. They allow evil communications to corrupt their good manners. And all of a sudden now, they are participating in things such as Halloween or I'll tell you what else, Sheila. This is something that I've, I've noticed for years. The fact that disguised but blatant witchcraft yes. being performed in churches all over the world, and especially in the United States of America, it is jaw-dropping and stunning. Once you, once you learn the simplistics of what witchcraft is and what the Wicca religion and paganism is all about, you don't have to get deep into it. Just learn a few things, and then you go to a church, and all of a sudden you see these things happening, and you, you should wake up and say, wait a minute, there's witchcraft going on here. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. We mentioned this number four, all right? And then yet, you know, the four high holy days and then the cross quarter days. All right. P- Wiccans, when they, when they cast spells, they draw a circle. Uh, I, could, I could stop right there and talk about this Mark Batterson, this pastor of this church in Washington, D.C., who bases his, his idea not upon the Bible, but upon an extra biblical. Uh, something this Jewish guy did named Honey, who drew a circle and demanded God to make it rain. And he's going around telling everybody, you need to circle all your problems. You need to draw a circle. You need to get in a circle and have a circle. And I'm just going, number one, the Bible doesn't say anything about us having to be in a circle in order for God to work or God to pay attention to us. That in itself is witchcraft. But you have uh, the, the witches will draw a circle, and the witches then will call out to Four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. Believe it or not, I've seen churches use the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water as their logos. They will call out to the four elements. They will stand and they will face in the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. They will do that on the four um, sacred days, spring, summer, fall, and winter. Um, And there's a list of other things that they do that are bundled up in four. I have seen, I have seen people being led in in prayer circles. People being led in what they call prayer worship services. The leader will say, "Now we're going to face east. Now we're going to call to the God of East. Now we're going to face west. Yeah. And we're going to and the, and they have them doing these things, telling them that the power of God really is going to fall down now if we do these things. And that Sheila is witchcraft inside of churches. It is really frightening what's going on in our churches and. Of course, as you mentioned, Mike, and I think this is so important, The you're right, we've got all these people practicing a mishmash of twisted and perverted pagan holidays. I mean, the Luciferian elite have really twisted and perverted and totally messed with our calendar and the dates to infuse their ritualistic occult pagan holidays or holy days, which is actually where that word originates. So each year there's this theme of this cycle of birth, death, rebirth, and right. so we began to realize that every year after a period of cold and darkness, obviously seasons, the sun does indeed return. So all these holidays have this rebirth connection. Now, you mentioned one of these holidays. Now, so February 1st, I'm going to name these eight, and then we'll sort of develop them a little more. So February 1st, as you said, Imbolg. So that's kind of this you know, candles are lit and placed in each room in a house, and it's to honor the rebirth of the sun. There's that sun theme. Right. So March 21st, Astera, 
That's the austere rebirthing ritual. Again, as you said, spring equinox. It's kind of the yin and yang, you know. Right. The devil makes it in fertility, obviously. So May 1st, Beltane. June 21st, Litha, also the summer solstice. August 1st is Lunasad. September 21st, Maybon. That's also the autumnal equinox. And then the big kahuna, the number, <laughs> undoubtedly the highest and holiest night of sacrifice for the Illuminati and the world of witches and warlocks. It's Samhain, as you said, it looks like it says Samhain, the Day of the Dead. So it's a day, really, to, as you said, that veil is thinner to contact the dead spirits, so to speak. And then, of course, wrapping up at the end of the year, you have Yule, winter solstice. And so we're going to develop each one of these a little bit and really develop Samhain. So in bulk, let's start there, is February 1st. Candles are lit and placed in each room of a house to honor the rebirth of the sun. It's really this rebirthing ritual that we see woven through all these eight occultic pagan holidays, isn't it? Yeah, sure it is. And let me go back to in bulk. Okay. February the 2nd, January hath 31 days. And then the second day of February is, is day 33. And you mentioned that it was a, a symbol of rebirth. The sun is starting to come out now. There was a movie made that portrays this right in front of your very eyes. It's indoctrination. It was called Groundhog Day. Okay. It's a funny movie. I mean, uh, who is it? Bill Murray is in this movie. And if what he's doing is Bill Murray is real mean, egotistical, uh, sarcastic, mean, nasty. And he has to go to Punxsutawney and cover the groundhog and he doesn't want it. And he's, you know, whatever. And so he's really mean. He wakes up in the morning the next day thinking that Groundhog Day is over. But what happened is it started all over again. And the movie goes to this course where he is reliving this day over and over and over and over and over again. But every day that he, re- that he relives, he becomes smarter. He becomes more talented. He learns how to play the piano. He learns languages. Um, he, he, he becomes this sort of godlike character. And then finally, at the end of the movie, he gets to mate with the girl, and that sets him free. Now he's, you know, he's off and running. And I'm just going, this is indoctrination what it is. The spring equinox, it's about balance, like, well, like you were talking about. 12 hours in a day, 12 hours in a night. And light and darkness are, are very, very interesting concepts. That it, basically, they are fused together, whether it is in paganism or Wicca or Freemasonry, Freemasonry, often in a Masonic Lodge, they will have a white and black checkerboard floor, and they will tell you that that symbolizes the union of light and darkness. And Paul said, what union hath light with darkness? It doesn't. They're not supposed to be together, all right? They're separate. So the spring equinox represents, and the autumn equinox, yin and yang, a little bit of good and all evil, and a little bit of evil and all good, all of those are fused together. Then you have Beltane or Mayday. And here's, to me, this is interesting. This pole that these young ladies are dancing around is nothing more than the name Baal is in Beltane, B-E-L. That's his name. This pole that they dance around is a obelisk. It is Baal's shaft. It is the 14th missing piece of Osiris that Isis was trying to put him back together so he could live and it represents his male member. 
and you have this festival. It's, it was done in Europe for a thousand years or maybe even more than that, uh, even done in America. Schools are doing this. Schools are not supposed to have anything to do with religion, but they're practicing paganism on May Day. And these young ladies will take these ribbons and they'll weave it around this pole and those ribbons match DNA perfectly. I mean, if you think about it, those ribbons are like the two coiled serpents going up this pole. And that's what they're doing. The summer solstice is uh, the sun in his strength. It represents, uh, think of it this way, Isaiah 14, where, you know, how it will fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. The last thing he says is, I will be like the most high. And there's something very, very interesting that goes on between the winter solstice and the summer solstice. We know that the sun rises and sets from east to west every day. Most people don't really think about it, but the sun also rises and sets from south to north once every year. It starts out 23 degrees below the equator. That would be the winter solstice. And then from there to the summer solstice, a half a year later, it is 23 degrees above the equator. Now, if you do the math, that's 46. That's a number of chromosomes that are in our DNA, in human DNA. And to me, that's just, that is just stunning. But that's the, the summer and the winter solstice show this little transit of 46 degrees that the sun goes into. The reason why I think that's significant is that number 46 is linked with the idea of the temple, mission of the Bible, and it says that our bodies are the temple of God. I think that there is an antichrist, a beast, a man of sin, a son of perdition, who is going to sit in the temple of God and show himself that he is God. And I think that's what that's all about. We get to Samhain. We get to this this cross quarter day. Its opposite would be uh, Beltane. And you're now dealing with eight particular holy days. The number eight is also significant in the, we mentioned the number eight being the the day that um, um, Isaac was circumcised, the eighth day. Um, There's other eights in the Bible, but anyway, it has the idea of, of new life and new beginnings and new birth and so on. That number eight is also associated with the beast in Revelation chapter 17. John sees the woman riding the beast and and he has seven heads, and he has ten horns, and, you know, those those Wiccans, those pagans, they worshipped this god who had these horns on his head. That is, they're worshipping the beast is what they're doing. Witchcraft is, and I always tell people, there's two religions in the world. There's Bible Christianity, and there's witchcraft. And every other religion in the world has a works-based blessing or a works, works-based grace or salvation, and it's essentially witchcraft. Bible Christianity is, I know that I can't keep the Ten Commandments. I haven't kept the Ten Commandments, but I believe Christ died to save my wicked soul. That is the doctrine of belief. And so these, these days, these holy days or unholy days, like Halloween, Samhain, they're practiced you don't miss these days. You gather together or you perform rituals or you, in some cases, it's just as 
uh, let's say, uh, non-threatening and non-life-threatening as a blade, like a knife, being plunged into a cup. That's called the, uh, the blade and the chalice. It's basically, it's a representation of male and female together. It can go to places where in, in some areas, among some cults, among some members of Wicca, paganism, Satanism, whatever, that they actually perform a, a, um, a fornication act on October 31st. But then I believe, there's no doubt in my mind, that there are very evil people in this world who on October 31st, who on spring and autumn equinox or these other, these other pagan days, one of these eight days, but especially on Halloween, they will be gathering together and somebody's blood is going to be spilled on October the 31st. We don't like to talk about that, but that's the reality. And when it comes to the question of should I and my family have, have you know, participate in this? Should we decorate our house with spider webs and witches everywhere? We're told really by the Apostle Paul, number one, to avoid the appearance of evil. But number two, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And that's Halloween. That is these, these gloomy things that people do. To have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We are to say to people, uh, I'm a Christian. We don't do this. You don't have to be mean about it. I'm a Christian. We don't do this. We are going to gather in our church or we're going to gather in our home and we're going to pray and we're going to worship the Lord on this night. But we don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And I think that if if Christians, I, I try not to be, I try not to hit people over the head with it because I know that I'm one of those people that if I wasn't saved, I would be doing the Halloween thing. I mean, I'd probably spend all my money on this thing. But I can't do it, and I can't have an association with it, and I can't let that into my life because it's not good for me. And if I were just to make an appeal to Bible believers, to those who love the Lord, and maybe you're not sure about all these things, you've heard one thing, you're not sure if you believe it, some people tell you, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's just for the kids, and so on and so on. If you would just stop and pray and say, Lord, you show me what to do, and I'll do it. I think that's probably the, about the best advice that I could give people on what they should be doing October 31st. Well, let's take a bit of a closer look at this Samhain that the ancient nomadic Celts celebrated. Now, you just said October 31st. So Samhain was a three-day period from October 29th to October 31st. It was a three-day fire festival to worship the Celtic stag god, the Lord of the Dead, Nimrod. Early ancient pictures of Nimrod actually depict him with horns, so having antlers looking very much like a stag, a goat-looking creature like the Baphomet. And it was said the stag god was the pagan god of the dead. So if crops failed, people starved and died. So Samhain was this ancient fire harvest festival to this Celtic stag god of death. And they took this ritualistic practice very, very serious. So the Celts came into the British Isles around 
900 BC and held authority. They were in control of that region probably until about 900 AD. So these yeah. are approximate timelines. And But keep in mind, Michael, that these nomadic tribes are very barbaric. They worshipped many false gods, particularly revering the sun, the moon. They had a priestly high class of magicians called the Druids. Druid in Gaelic means oak or oak nor. Revered is sort of the most coveted wood. And it's interesting that that good old 40-foot Moloch statue at Bohemian Grove, that's said to be made out of oak, which apparently is a very, we all know, sacred wood for sacrificial ceremonies. Now, Druids held power and authority over these Celtic tribes. And it's interesting to note that the Druids were only afraid of one even more evil group called the Sons of May or the May Sons. But that is another show altogether, Mike. So (laughs) these Druids had the authority to call the shots and everything, who could have children, who could marry, who couldn't even worship at their temple. So one of the Druids' most ancient astrological, their observatory and temple complex was Stonehenge. So you've got these large megalithic stone circles. You just talked about circles. That's where they're worshipping their stag god. They were having these ritualistic sacrifices. Stonehenge is kind of difficult to date, but some archaeologists dated around 3000 BC. But the interesting thing is that the stones, it's rare blue granite stone that's only found in Scotland some 80 miles away. So, you know, stones weighing anywhere from 5 to 10 tons, 80 miles over a river. There's kind of many theories on how those big megalithic temple complexes where the Druids practice these sacrifice. And, you know, there's roughly 4,000 skeletal remains found nearby or under the site. And, I mean, who knows how many are buried under that site. But these Druids practice this eight times a year, kind of like the eight Mayan times, because the veil was really the thinnest that time of year. Now, what's really interesting about where we get bobbing for apples. It actually originated from these human sacrifices the Druids would perform at Stonehenge. So they would take their human sacrifices, they would make them line up at these big pre-done cauldrons where they threw apples into these cauldrons which had water that was the boiling point of liquid, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. That could melt the flesh right off of you. They would take one of these people up to the raging boiling cauldron. If that person, it was said, could get an apple out of the boiling water between their teeth, they would be free to be released. Now, the apple was their only hope of living. And most of these poor victims did it because that was their only chance to live. And so they took it. So they dipped their heads into the boiling liquid. And of course, you can think the damage would be horrific. Third degree burns and scarring. And if you did not grab an apple, well... You were either beheaded or used in the wicker man burning. So the Celts would build these huge 30-foot wicker structures out of wicker reeds, and some of the caged people would be used in these 30-foot wicker men's. They lit these things on fire, and supposedly that allowed the demons to enter into our world when, of course, the veil was thinnest. During the nights of Samhain, these wicker men and their bale fires open the floodgates for demonic spirits. So to keep these malevolent demonic spirits in check, the Druids would protect themselves with painted masks and robes and costumes with special symbols to keep out these spirits. And that is sadly 
what we're doing today. In Nevada, there's an event called the Burning Man. And so all these pagans come together once a year. They set up the old Wicker Man. It's the same practice, different rendition. That's the origin of the Halloween costume, bobbing for apples, the carved jack-o'-lanterns. And where do we get trick-or-treat? Well, these druids will go wandering out into the countryside to houses of nobility and manors and bang on the door and scream trick-or-treat. So the Lord of the Manor was supposed to cooperate with the druids by giving them a treat. And what was that treat? They'd have to give over someone of their household, a family member to be used as a human sacrifice. And that was pretty much as a reward for handing over that human sacrifice. The druids would leave on the house step a lit carved out pumpkin containing human or animal fat and supposedly this carved out pumpkin would be protection of that household from demonic entities so yeah if the household didn't cooperate they'd get a trick which the druids would then paint a six-pointed star with a circle around it on the door you know it as the strongest occult symbol a hexagram with a circle around it so there you have it really it's almost like we're we're celebrating what God absolutely prohibited his people from having anything to do with. When you look at these, everything that you're saying, um, and, and I agree with you that you and I have read the same history about Samhain and the Druids and the, the pumpkin and everything like that, that these men were the most wicked, bloodthirsty, devil-possessed people in the entire world. Like I say, uh, Ahab had 400 prophets of the groves, and I think those were the forerunners of the Druid priests that showed up in England. I think that religion was carried on. And there was a reason why God hated that religion and hated those those prophets and, and, and hated the practices that he told the Israelites not to learn when they went into Canaan land, Canaan land was full of giants, I think, and I think you'll probably agree with this, that man did not build Stonehenge. I think giants did. I think that's the only biblical explanation for it because we know when the 12 spies went into Canaan land, we know that when they came back and gave their report, they said this, these walls are huge. We've never seen anything like this. These buildings, these walls, the things that they have built in there are huge. There's no way in the world that 10 of them come back and says, there's no way in the world we can go in there. Those giants and those walls are going to keep us out of it. And when you compare the, the stones at Stonehenge to the, to the quarried stones at Baalbek, which is they, the, the wall around uh, the city there, the largest quarried stone in the entire world is still sitting out there for all of mankind to wonder about how in the world yeah. did these puny humans get this thing over here? They didn't. The giants did. The Bible tells you that. And so the religion of Samhain, the religion of Beltane, the, these religious ideas were carried, were, were brought down by the giants. That was their God. Baal and Ashtaroth was their God. The Israelites adopted these practices as their own, they all of a sudden now, instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping Baal, they're worshiping Ashtaroth, and Baal always requires blood. He always requires human blood. Uh, I'm going through a series right now on um, 
the child of hell, and it's about how Manasseh made his children to pass through the fire unto Molech. These people would literally take, their religion required that they hand over their innocent children as sacrifices so that, like you said, so that the crop, so that God wouldn't be angry at them and the crops would come in and it would rain just the right amount and they would have enough food to get through the winter and so on. And it required a bloody, innocent, human sacrifice. The devil is such the enemy of God and he is a murderer. He murders innocent people. And there, like I said earlier, there's no doubt that on October 31st, this year, blood is going to be spilled. Human blood is going to be spilled. Innocent blood is going to be spilled. How many, how many children have disappeared in this country alone, in, let's say in the last 50 years, whose bodies have been abused, devastated, and then murdered for the blessing, I, you would say, of Lucifer or these four elements or whatever it is, I don't think we'll know until we get to heaven and have full understanding of everything that's going on in this earth. But for, for us, for me as a Christian, to participate in this night and doing all the, like you say, the trick-or-treat, I've read the same thing, I've heard it, I, I believe it. The idea that if you don't give them some sort of treat, if you don't give them some blessing like your virgin daughter out of your house or your child, your child to pass through the fire, then there's going to be a curse on your house and there's nothing you can do about it. For us to, to participate in something like that, especially the way it's done now, Halloween's big business now. It wasn't so much when I was a kid, but it is now. For people to participate in this now, I really think they need to stop and just ask the Lord, God, what, what am I doing here? Should I be participating in something like this? Well, what business does dark have with light? I mean, trick-or-treating, festivals, bobbing for apples, carved jack-o'-lanterns, costumes, masks. This is all part, people, of this very pagan holiday. And some people think it's just a harmless little cutesy holiday. But Christians trying to counterfeit Halloween even by having these harvest parties or harvest festivals. I mean, I really do think... It's reprehensible. I mean, they we're just giving it another name, but it's very serious. It opens the floodgates of demonic activity. You know, I think about even Christmas, sadly, December 21st, Yule. If you look at the origins of the Romans and Saturnalia, it was a festival of debauchery held that time of year. The winter solstice, you know, they honored the god Saturn. The ancient Egyptians, 4,000 years ago, they celebrated the birth of Ra, the sun god. And in some traditions, Mike, in Wicca and paganisms, the Yule celebration, they do this reenactment of the Oak King and the Holly King. Guess what we get out of that? It's a reenactment of this battle, and it's really popular in these Wiccan rituals. And I just think it's important that we arm ourselves, Michael, with the truth. As Christians, you know, if we have information about these pagan holidays, such as Halloween, I mean, obviously, they're more than just candy and gory costumes, not just write it off as some harmless little celebration. Information's important. Satan's crafty. And as you said, you know, ask God, is this something that your household needs to be really involved with? Because I mean, Mike, you talked about this, there's a number of converted witches that are warning that Satanists and practicing witches, they're infiltrating the church today. 
And so we've got to be on guard. We've got to be paying attention. We've got to be using discernment. And it's important that we are not deceived. Right. Paul said um, in Galatians, Galatians has become over the years one of my favorite places in the Bible. And just about any false prophet that I know of is going to hate the book of Galatians because the book of Galatians sets people free. It tells you, you you will receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith and not the works of the law. And Paul uses in the King James Bible, and I love it, Galatians chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He used that particular word. And I think he meant it. I don't think he was just pulling some word off the shelf to really get their attention. I think... Well, we know that there was there were Jewish people in those churches in the Galatia area or Gaul. There was people in there that were telling them, you need to do the works of the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to do this. You need to do that. Paul knew that they were, they were bringing a curse into those churches. And he said, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And he said, received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And there was something that I discovered in the book of Galatians probably about a year ago, uh, talking about all of these days and why we have to gather on these days. And Sheila, what I'm seeing, a large resurgence of observing times inside of inside of churches, especially in, let's say, the Hebrew Roots movement. If you observe these, Jim Staley, who's, who's in prison now for doing some weird things with money, he made the statement, and I just, my jaw dropped. He said, I believe that when we observe times on Yahweh's calendar, that something special between God or Yahweh and man is opened up. In other words, there's a greater, you're going to get more goodies if you observe times than everybody else does who doesn't. And Paul said in Galatians 4, and he's talking to these Christians now, and he says, remember where you used to be. Remember what you used to do. You used to worship all these pagan stuff. You used to, you know, be part of this. He says in Galatians 4, 8, how be it then when you knew not God, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. That's Halloween, all right? That's weird. People are doing service to things that are not really God. But he said, but now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly, and he uses the word elements here. And I'm just going, that's witchcraft. Wow. They, they follow the elements. You turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, where until you desire again to be in bondage. And then he says, verse 10, this, this just gets me. He says, you observe days and months and times and years. One, two, three, four. You observe days, months, times, and years. Halloween, Imbolc, uh, Beltane, all, all of these other pagan holidays. That's what they used to observe back when they were pagans, when they were lost in sin. But he says, now you come out of that, you, and you're supposedly set free by the Spirit of Christ. And I believe, Sheila, that you can worship God on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, any day of the week, any time of the week. It doesn't matter to God. We have that liberty in Christ to worship him whenever we want to, but there's still going to be that element in that's coming into our churches that is teaching people that you must observe this day or you must observe this time or you must do this facing this direction, then this direction, or in this circle, or 
what's being done at the uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California. Oh, that's They're making nightmare. people pass through a fire tunnel. They're passing yeah. their children through a fire inside this church. And I just want to scream, what are you people, crazy? You're practicing witchcraft, and you have so much little knowledge about what the Word of God really says that you're falling into this stuff. That's what gets me. Well, you know, it's interesting, Mike. I did a show this month called Unmasking the Hebraic Roots, and I was relegated to the depths of the damned, and those were the nice ones. There's oh, a, yeah. There's a frightening level of deception in the church. Paul talks about doctrines of devils, and I think this is what we're dealing with. So whether it's the fighting over the flat earth, yeah. Hebraic Roots, I mean, get serious. Jesus Christ <laughs> is the feast. The feast days point to his coming. Jesus was the ultimate fulfilling of the law, and it's an insult to think we add anything to this, really. People ask me, did you keep Passover? And I said, yeah, every day I read my Bible. I keep the feast with the unleavened bread of truth, and that's the Word of God, and that's, that's the freedom that we have. And my God listens to me and loves me and favors me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year long. God has never let me down. He's never required me to meet him at such and such a time in such and such a place facing in in a certain direction and saying these magic words. Most of the time, my prayers to God are, God, help. I need help. And I don't even know what to ask, but God, I need help. That's like our children calling unto us. And we don't expect that our children spelled out exactly what they want us to do to get them out of trouble. They just look at us and say, Mom, help, Dad, help. And that's what we do. That's the God that I serve. He's a free God, and those that worship him are set free from all of these beggarly elements, all of this observing of times, all of these, you didn't say the right words facing the right direction. I like for God's people to be free, and it bothers me when I see people slipping in another form of bondage. Very well said. So this Halloween, instead of eating candy, we're going to get hopped up on a solid meat-filled diet of the Word of God. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the program. It is always such a pleasure to have you on the show. We hope you come back and visit us real soon. Thank you, Sheila. God bless. God bless you too, Mike. Folks, that was Pastor Michael Hoggard. You can bookmark his site. One of many is watchmanvideobroadcast.com. His information is linked there on today's bio. Do shoot Mike an email and let him know you heard him on the show today. Okay, well, it's time for the Green Gospel giveaway. Last Thursday, I said I was doing a Green Gospel giveaway. Five winners. I drew names of five people. So if you hear your name, email me. And give me your information on where I can send a signed copy of my book to you. Here are the list of names. Number one, Terry Davis. And I'm not sure if that's a guy or a gal, but Terry Davis. Next winner, Corey Townsend. Townsend, S-E-N-D. Stacy Feldman, that's F-E-L-D-M-A-N. And Gary Bremner. And last but not least, Patrick Siegert. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. S-I-E-G-E-R-T. So there you have it. And if your name was mentioned, Terry Davis, Gary Bremner, Corey Townsend, 
Stacy Feldman, and Patrick Siegert. I believe I'm pronouncing everybody's name right there. So, again, if you heard your name mentioned, do email me and get me your mailing address. I can get a copy of the book out to you first thing next week. Tomorrow, we have an amazing guest, and I'm really excited about a new book that him and Tom Horn have coming out. Chris Putnam, such an intelligent guy. Can't wait to have him on the program tomorrow. It's going to be a fantastic show. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight. See you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.